Ellis, Bush to Cleveland. Cleveland Newton able to keep it up. Here's Ellis trying to end it. And she does. Purdue upsets Wisconsin at home. Number three, Ohio State. Reeling the block party on their feet. Setting up Peterson again. Block! Boilermakers do it! They survived the upset with a three-set run to win in five and advance to the Sweet 16 for the third consecutive. Welcome back to the Dig City Podcast. Corey Palm alongside head coach Dave Shondell. Coach, it's been a little while, enough time to get some perspective. First of all, congratulations on a great 2021 season. Uh, comes to an end in the Elite Eight uh, uh, for the second time in the calendar year, which which is pretty amazing. That, that, that Great success. We'll talk a lot about the season, but uh, just with some distance to, to the end. Uh, what are your thoughts? Well, that's the good news and the bad news. The season came to the end in the Elite Eight, which means that you did pretty well, uh, better than, you know, 430 other programs, or 330 other programs did, but not as good as four that went to the Final Four. And we felt like this was a year that we had the the talent and the experience and, and the know-how to get there, but, you know, ran into a good Pitt team uh, in their place. And I thought Pitt played at a very high level against us. And we were not awful, but we weren't real good in that particular match. And so as a coach, you, you start to, to evaluate what do we need to do differently? Did we put too much pressure on our players? Did they put too much pressure on themselves? Um, were we tired because we played two seasons in one calendar year? And how do you peak at the right time? I think when you look at our team, most, whether you're a novice fan or an expert in the field, you'd say, well, they were playing pretty well that weekend. They beat you know, Wisconsin and Minnesota on the road. And there was a stretch there that we were really, really good. Mm -hmm. And then you know, we may have fatigued a little bit toward the end. We had seven players that were playing their final uh, year for us. And, and sometimes um, things are going through their mind, like what's next and you know, what's, my, what's my next move. And there's a lot going on. There's academics. There's a lot of different things. But at the end of the day, Pitt played better than we did. They had a little outside hitter that went crazy against us, and we didn't do a very good job with her. Um, but a wonderful season where our team uh, made, I think, Purdue University very, very proud. They certainly made me proud, and, and I, was, I was really thrilled to be a part of the ride. Of course, the, the, the final match is the one that you focus on as the head coach. I want to go back uh, a, a step or two. Mm -hmm. The five-setter in the second round, to yeah. advance to, to the second weekend. And then the five-setter against BYU in the Sweet 16. Two of the best volleyball matches I've ever seen. Yeah. Uh, that, that match against BYU is one of the greatest sporting events I've ever seen. It, it was That is not hyperbole. That comeback in the fifth set was unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, and then to turn the page, to have to turn the page that quickly. Let's yeah. talk about the BYU match first. Okay. Well, um, yeah, I have a lot of respect for BYU, uh, their coaching staff, the program. It's, it's one of the premier volleyball programs in the country, both on the women's and the men's side. Mm -hmm. I mean, it is a volleyball school. There's no doubt about that. And uh, they put a great product on the floor, and they were ranked in the top six or seven all season. Uh, lost one match this year, and that was at Pitt. Yep. That was the only match they lost before we ran into them in the uh, field of 16. And we knew we'd have our hands full, but we were – we were playing pretty well. We'd come off that great comeback against Dayton, and, and 
we had a lot of confidence and jumped on them in the first game. And then I think they came back and won the next two. And we had to win that fourth to put it into a fifth. And as you know, we're down 14 to, I think we're down 14 nine. And uh, we end up giving them kind of an awkward free ball that they misplayed. Mm -hmm. and that made it 14 10. Otek went back and, and dialed up a couple of aces. The first one was a tough serve. The second one, I think nobody really wanted to play it. It was because things were starting to turn south for him. Yeah. And then we won a couple of points to get it to 14-14, uh, and that, then you're reborn. Then it's then it's a it's a short short game to see who advances. <laughs> Two-point game. And I think it was 1917, I think, it so, yeah. ended up, and we got that win. What really one of the most amazing comebacks that I've ever been part of because at 14-9 and 14-10, the head coach is already starting to figure out what's your post-game conference going to be like and what are you going to say and how are you going to make this sound the way it needs to sound to, to take care of your athletes and yeah. those type of things. And, and uh, you know, three minutes later, you're, you're charging out of there with a win. So uh, it was fun. But that's a credit to the players, the toughness, the competitiveness, the desire, the, the experience, and, and people making plays when they, when they needed to. And um, fortunately, that, that put us into the Elite Eight again for the second time in two years or two seasons. Did, did the fatigue of 10 sets in, in – I know there was a week in – well, a short week in between. But uh, 10 sets in your last two matches, did – did that play a, a part at all in the pit match? You know, certainly not physically. I, okay. I don't think physically it, it had anything to do with that. And it's important to point out that this was the first year, and thankfully so, that the NCAA allowed for a day in between uh, the regional semifinal and the regional final, which is something that was long overdue. Mm -hmm. Because in the past, you win a match like we won against BYU, you're still you're still on cloud nine, and you're and you're having to play the next match. Here we had time to come down, regroup, and be I think mentally engaged to play pit. Yep. So um, you know we we a little mostly fatigued, yeah, but everybody is at that point. That's true. I mean it's, been, it's it was a long ride for eleven <laughs> months. It was a long ride playing all those all those matches in two seasons. So, um, but I, I just think that. Um, Pitt was better on that night. Pitt and us were in the same boat, trying to get in that Final Four for the first time in school history. Playing at home, I thought, was significant. You know, you go back to the weekend before when we were beating Dayton, uh, Pitt was playing um, Penn State. Mm -hmm. And had Penn State won that match, which they led in every game. They did. Late in every game. Close. Had Penn State found a way to beat Pitt, then we would have been playing that uh, uh, regional here at Purdue. So that's how, how close it was. And the, the home team in the sport of volleyball has a huge advantage. I mean, all you got to do is look at the records. Um, and that's why everybody wants to host those regionals, because it makes a big difference. Uh, but in this case, um, we, were, we were in a position we could have we overcome that, and we could have won it had we played at a higher level. It just, it just wasn't our night to, to advance to the Final Four. Has it been a good move for the sport to take it away from uh, standardized, predetermined, Probably well, neutral sites. I think at the time it was because it allowed better crowds. I think they felt like if you play, if you're playing at Stanford or Texas or wherever some of the perennial powers are, mm -hmm. um, and, and Stanford doesn't always draw that well, so that was it isn't really a good example. But uh, you know, Penn State, uh, Wisconsin, Minnesota, uh, Nebraska, obviously, then you know you're going to get full houses. Uh, they, there was not a full house at Pittsburgh. 
Matter of no. fact, we did not play in the facility that we really thought we were playing in. We thought we were going to play in their basketball venue, which is where they had played uh, the sub-regional. And then we got out there and we're back into what's kind of a Jenison Fieldhouse type of a place, okay, where that's where they do play, where they used to play their basketball, and now mm-hmm. they play their volleyball. And, and I was a little bit uh, surprised that that's where we were if they play the week before, they were playing the beautiful facility, and then they get their regional, and we're back in, um, you know, in uh, Fitzgerald. I think it's called Fitzgerald Fieldhouse, uh, and and they didn't sell it out. They, I think they I think they gave tickets away to their students and still didn't sell it out, and they had about twenty five hundred in there. So it wasn't like it was a their crowd was so significant yeah. that we couldn't overcome that. But uh, enough on that one. <laughs> okay, the season in general. Um, Top 10 wins, more than anybody in the country. You had the distinction of, I've got to think, I didn't check this one all the way deep like I should have, but you played every team that was in the Final Four this year. Yes. Yes, Uh, we did. Just putting this season in perspective overall, obviously Elite Eight run, a great finish in the Big Ten, um, some big wins. Just what are you going to remember about this year? All the players. I remember the, you know, not only the veteran players that had been, you know, with us for four and five years, respectively, but the Raven Colvin, you know, that certainly made a huge impact as as she, you know, developed, and even Allie Horning, who got better and better as a freshman. But, you know, we had Otech and Newton that came back for a fifth year, and they couldn't they couldn't wait to do it, and and that's the thing as a coach that really excites you is that they wanted to be part of the ride for another year. And uh, and then we had that five-person senior class with, you know, Horning and, and Bush and J.L. Johnson and Grace Cleveland and, and Twilliger. So seven players that had been around for a long time and made every day fun walking into the gym. Tremendous people, people that our university, our fans have to just, had, had fallen in love with because of, of how they competed and the pride that they played with and how they represented this university. So that's what I'll remember yeah. is going in the gym every day, whether it was for practice, for matches, and seeing those guys and what they put out to make our team as good as it could be that you know, that we were in the spotlight this year a lot. Yes, uh, We were on national TV more than any other year by far, and so a lot of people watched this team play. Mm-hmm. And when I was at the, at the Final Four convention, you know, I just couldn't hear enough how much people enjoy watching our, our team play. And, of course, that they thought we had a chance to, to go further and really make some noise. But um, that's the way it works sometimes. But uh, it, it a year, clearly with the two seasons in one year, year we'll never forget. Yeah. But I'll remember it in such a positive way um, from the standpoint that, yeah, COVID certainly made a, a big hit on this country and still is. But how, how our young athletes persevered and dealt with the situation and found ways to to focus on something that they could control and uh, you know their their futures are bright and you know we're going to miss them uh, at this point in time all seven of those people are, are are done with their career here at purdue i know our fans would, would love to have you know one or two of them stick around and play but uh we're going to be fine yeah. we got we got good players um, in the program and good players coming and, and, and every year is different. So, you know, I, I can't promise what we're going to be like, but I, I can guarantee our kids are going to play hard and they're going to de- develop every day. We'll, we'll have some time to talk about the, uh, the upcoming season, which is right around the corner, believe it or not. Yeah. Not, quite, not quite the same <laughs> hope as it's last not, Hope it's not too soon. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, I think fans don't really understand. We've seen, you know, 
you work in sports long enough, you get a real good sense for how um, off the court, locker room, behind the scenes dissension can ruin a year. It can ruin a season. It can take mm-hmm. a, a great, powerful team and tear it apart. Yeah. Uh, we've seen it. Yeah. It happens in every sport yeah. uh, sometimes. So, so what you talk about this, this team loving each other and, and really sacrificing for each other and doing what's best for the team, it just cannot be overstated how important that is. A lot of humble young people uh, in a sport where it's easy to, to get you know, big on yourself. Mm-hmm. And we didn't have that for, from anybody. And um, even though you know, Caitlin Newton you know, came back and was obviously a go-to player, she was, was the epitome of a great teammate. On, on this team this year. Uh, Grace Cleveland the same way. I mean, we had two high-profile athletes on that team. But when you, when, as, as you know, when your best players are working hard and being great teammates, it makes everything a lot easier for you. So, um, but yeah, I, did, I just think that, that fans need to realize that our kids need, need, some, need a break. Mm-hmm. And even though we're back in the gym, now we're on our four hours a week in the gym, we're doing what we can to make that as easy on them emotionally as possible. We've got to get better. I mean, we play in the Big Ten Conference. Um, everybody's going to be grinding uh, when they can to, right. to make sure they're getting better, developing talent. But we, we have to find a way to make it enjoyable and, and not not continue this you know, COVID season where we're, we're, we, we never got a break. Mm-hmm. And not only were they dealing with, with athletics, they were dealing with COVID and, acad- and, and academics and relationships and all those things. So um, it's important, and we're, look, we're aware of that, and, and we're going to do the very best at taking care of our players so that next fall we're fresh and we're ready to go. You guys have sustained a pretty high level of success from the get-go, pretty much from your from your – First season here, where you, you kind of crashed onto the scene, surprised a lot of folks, and mm-hmm. and there have been a, an occasional season that's probably a disappointment from your standpoint, but they've been very spare yeah. and uh, and very rare. What has been the key to that type of consistency the last almost twenty years? Well, I think Purdue University supports their volleyball program in a tremendous fashion. I give Morgan Burke and Mike Bobinski and all the the people we work with from the you know the president and the board of trustees and all those people a lot of credit and Carol Dewey who kind of got the ball rolling many many years ago uh, that volleyball is a premier sport at Purdue University and our fans come out in in big big numbers we sold out every home home match this past season um, that encourages you know recruits to want to come play and and what was described this year um, by the Big Ten or, or somebody it was described as the best home court environment in the country. That's a pretty good place to play. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And um, so I mean, there's a lot of positives at Purdue. Academically, it's a great school. Female athletes are looking for both great academics and great athletics in a safe environment. Mm-hmm. And Purdue uh, provides that at, at a very high level. Uh, our coaching staff has been here for a long time together. Um, we know what we're doing. Um, people understand if they come to Purdue, they know what they're going to get. Mm-hmm. There's no surprises. And in a world right now where every time I get on Twitter, there's a new 
new head coach, a new assistant coach, or somebody's making a big splash because somebody new is going on there. We're not making that splash. We got the same same people walking in the gym every day, and and people know what they're going to get. Yeah. And and it's going to hopefully be a, a positive experience in the gym, and they're going to be trained. And we've got seven or eight people right now playing professionally overseas. And um, of course, Andy Drews had the tremendous Olympic run not that long ago. So people know what they're going to get when they come here now. And does that mean we, we can out-recruit Nebraska and Stanford and Texas and places like that occasionally? Mm -hmm. Okay. But what we have to do is out-train them in the gym. We have to find the same athlete that maybe Texas is getting that doesn't have the exposure and get them into our gym and develop them and train them. You know, I, I look at, and we talked about this a little bit off the air, you look at that class that just, you know, finished up. We had, it was actually Jenna Otek, Haley Bush, and Caitlin Newton, who came in in the fall of 2017. Seems like a long time ago, it really right? really does. But it goes fast. Those guys weren't recruited. I'm not sure anybody in the Big Ten. I think Indiana might have recruited Caitlin Newton. Um, I don't think anybody in the Big Ten recruited Jenna Otek. Mm -hmm nor Haley Bush. Um, we did, because they're our kind of people. I liked what I saw and how hard they played and, and some of the things they brought physically as well as emotionally. None were a top 50 recruit. Yeah. They all ended up all Americans. They all ended up all Big Ten because they came in here and they listened and they, they were willing to be trained and coached and become great teammates. And between Kat and John and myself and our volunteer coaches and and their respective teammates, they developed. Mm -hmm. And so I guess when you want to answer your question, I think that, that what I am, take the most pride in is what goes on in our gym. And, and that and the fact that when people come here, they're normally here for the duration, um, which you know, leads into another topic that we'll probably get into later on. It, it does, and we will get there. Uh, we might have to split the show into two, <laughs> frankly, uh, giving, giving people a lot of great stuff here. Uh, Postseason accolades, um, six honored with postseason Big Ten awards, uh, a couple first team honorees, uh, uh, one one gentleman won Big Ten Coach of the Year. Uh, what did that mean to you to to be honored in this conference um, as the uh, as the Big Ten Coach of the Year? Oh, it's it's a great feeling, um, and again, that's to me that's a coaching staff award. Keep that in mind. I mean. John and Kat and I are pretty much joined at the hip, mm -hmm. and we all do different things to help this program. And so, if if it goes well, then then we need to take that. And if it goes bad, I hope they'll join me uh, <laughs> with with that credit. But um, the best coaches in the country are in this league. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's ridiculous what you're having to deal with night in and night out. So every now and then, when they when they toss you a bone because your team has done well, uh, you feel good about it, and you want to take that and. Um, you put a lot of time into it. You know, you make a lot of sacrifices as a coaching staff in your in your personal lives to to try to have success at a Big Ten institution. So it feels good. Caitlin Newton, second team All American. Uh, Haley Bush, Grace Cleveland, Jen Otek, honorable mention, All Americans. Um, yeah, and, and you know, Grace Cleveland had almost the identical season. Yeah. That she had a year ago, her numbers were almost identical, and a year ago she's first team All American. 
and and this year uh, she did make second team All American by Volleyball Magazine, but I think. Uh, was was she third team or honorable mention? According uh, to that, honorable mention uh, ABCA. Yeah, which is yeah. which is hard to believe. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but but you take the good with the bad, you know. And so you know, she will walk out of here knowing she was a first team All American. The banner is going to hang forever. For sure. Okay, yeah. and uh, and then you know Newton, who is probably the hardest hitter that we've ever had at Purdue, just hits the tar out of the ball. And, uh, you know, really had a, you know, she came back, she wanted to prove something, and, and she did. She came back and proved that she could play at the highest level uh, as an outside hitter. And um, Otek had another really, really good year. And, uh, you know, Bush, I think, is the unsung hero. Bush did not get nearly enough credit for what, what she did to drive the bus. And uh, just a fierce competitor. And, you know, we're, we're going to miss her fight, her feistiness. Uh, that 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 she brought to the floor uh, on a regular basis, and I don't know if I left some anybody else off that list. That those, uh, those are the those are the. But I, I think you've also got to talk yeah. about J. L. Johnson, and you've got to yeah. talk about uh, Mo Horning, and uh, you know some of the, Maddie Skimmerhorn. You know some of the people that, that laid the foundation and mm-hmm. and made made pass after pass so we could run our offense. That Bush could set the ball to those people, and then Raven Colvin who uh, will be one of the premier players ever at Purdue University as she continues to develop. And I believe she was all freshmen uh, in the Big Ten, uh, as she deserved to be. I don't want to go negative. I I still, I have to ask, you were the only team in the Elite Eight without a first-team All-American. Balance. We had great balance. I mean, I think that's a positive. That's the thing? Okay. That's a positive. I mean, you know, I, I don't. I'm not being critical of anybody. Uh, that, that committee does a good job, and um, there's a lot of good players. I thought there was balance across the entire country. Yeah. I, I think that's hard to figure that out. Do I think that Grace Cleveland should have been second or third team this year? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, but it just the cards didn't come out that way this year. So, uh, But uh, Grace Cleveland had a phenomenal career and, and I know that she feels really good about what what she did while she was here and, and the accolades that she got along with that you've mentioned already that you're in the gym uh, the the four hours a week limit uh, this early I know that'll that'll tick up as as we get closer to spring mm-hmm. it does not feel like we're anywhere near spring right now outside. right be, right before spring break we'll get back to our 20 hour total uh, of time with our athletes and that really means about Oh, probably 10, 12 hours in the gym and the rest of the time either in the class, in the in the video room or in the weight room. What are you most excited to uh, see the team develop this spring? I know uh, I would probably say Megan Renner at the setter spot, seeing her step into that role full time. Yeah, I think the answer is everything. Yeah. But Meg Renner is, you know, people don't know much about Meg Renner because even though she's been here three years, and she was one of the top four recruits in the country in the setting position uh, out of Iowa. She uh, redshirted her first year playing behind um, Haley Bush. And then soon into the spring that freshman year, she tore her ACL on her knee, recovered from that, was so-so uh, as a um, redshirt freshman. And then this past year, could have played at any time, um, just wasn't quite as as experienced or as, as as poised and ready to go as what Haley Bush was, and Haley just got better and better all the time. Yeah, 
And so uh, it wasn't that Meg wasn't capable of playing at the level, just that in the Big Ten, you don't have a chance just to experiment and, and say, hey, Meg, we want to give you a chance tonight against Wisconsin. Or, Meg, we're going to be on the road against Ohio State. Let's give you a shot at it. Yeah. It's not that easy. Um, you, you have to win matches. If in, in the sport of volleyball, to get the seed you want, you have to win all the time as often as you can. So, But Meg was more than ready. Um, and so now she gets this chance this spring uh, to work with the players that are here and continue her development. And so next fall, she'll be ready to go. Theoretically, Meg has three years. She could still play, um, taking the COVID season uh, with that. She could play for three. Uh, right now, I think she's assured us of two. And then it's one of those things where we'll, we'll figure out what we're going to do beyond that. That's going to be with us for a while, isn't it? They, we, this past fall, I know we talked yeah. several times over the course of the year that yeah. maybe collegiate volleyball has never been in a, in a stronger spot because yeah. it's so veteran heavy. Yeah. It won't be like it was this year. This yeah. year, uh, universities were allowed to pay for those additional scholarships. So in our case, Newton and OTEC got scholarships on top of the 12 yeah. that we would have already had. That was a one-year deal. That goes away. So now if you're going to to add those super seniors, those fifth-year kids, um, then you have to take that their scholarships out of your 12, the number of 12 that you have. Okay. So that's that's putting a squeeze on some of the, the high school kids coming in, mm -hmm. and you have to make decisions. Do I want to you know keep this kid? Obviously, I think we're finding out that the players that had enjoyed a full senior season, they're not as likely to come back and play as Newton and Otec, who had a a senior season that was under the scrutiny of, of COVID and yeah. shortened season and no fans and everything else. So, so I think that I hope that it that it, it balances out to where we don't have a lot of uh, people staying beyond that because the high school kids are really getting squeezed. Those scholarships aren't there mm -hmm. because people are, are are staying for that fifth year and it's it's making it a little bit difficult on a lot of things, and including coaches trying to figure out how many recruits do you need to get in this coming class because you don't know who might stay for a fifth year. Coaches are uh, having to deal with a lot of variables right now, brand new things in college athletics. I, I don't think it's any surprise. I'm not going to break news here. You're you're closer to the finish line of your coaching career than you are to the starting line of your coaching <laughs> career. Yeah, pr probably fair to say. But, but how hard is it to adjust to constantly be aware of the new things coming in college athletics. Well, I can remember my dad always saying that uh, you need to learn to adjust because if you don't adjust, you're going to be like the dinosaur. And look around, how many dinosaurs do you see? You don't see very many. Not, okay? not so he always liked to use that line, uh, and I, I occasionally will throw it out there and people look at me kind of funny. <laughs> but um, I do take pride in the ability to adjust to understand that if you're going to stay relevant, you're going to have to do what's right and, 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 and keep up with the times. Uh, I had a meeting with uh, Tom Mitchell and his staff uh, about a week ago because we need to know what's happening with NIL. What's, where is Purdue on the NIL? And the NIL is, is, is money that athletes can now make, um, in some cases, for doing very little. Yeah. In some cases for doing a little bit more, but they're allowed to make, you know, money, which they couldn't, you know, a couple of years ago. And uh, some schools have got things set up where it's really easy for them to to make that happen, 
and others, you know, are still in, in the process. It's going to benefit the larger schools. Clearly, Power Five is going to it's going to create more separation than what we already have. Um, but we we've got to get on board yeah. with that. The 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 athletic department at Purdue, who I know is working on it. I'm not, I'm not saying we're behind. I'm saying that. But if 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 you're not ahead, you're not where you want to be. Right. So we, you know we have to get ahead of that. But but again, it's a change into the times, and if you're going to be in the business. You better get on top of it. And if Purdue needs to stay ahead of the game. We can't be even with the game, mm -hmm. okay? If you're even with the game, you're behind. And you know our, our idea here at Purdue with, with, with Mike Babinski at the helm is to beat people, to have success, to win. And to do that, then we need to make sure, whether it's learning how to handle the portal, which is something we haven't done at Purdue until this year, yeah. even we haven't had to. And all of a sudden, you know, we have a player that does leave. Um, and there's lots of other players on the portal leaving. I think somebody said 700 players on the volleyball portal. 700 Division One players so, on the volleyball portal. So much movement. Uh, and so, again, I'm not, I'm not going to say the portal is good or bad. It, it is what it is. Mm -hmm. And we're at a time in college athletics where the NCAA is going to err on the side of the athletes. You, me, everybody working at Purdue is here because of students. Otherwise, we'd be doing something else. Yep. Your your writing career would have to take really take <laughs> off. Okay, but we're here because of students, so we can't we can't argue with that. Yeah. That let's take care of our our student athletes. Okay, because that's why we're here. So if if the rule now is that they can transfer whenever they want to, and they don't have to come in and even even talk to you about it or have conversations with you, it's it's I go on the portal and I'm gone, then we have to learn how to, to handle that, and then we have to figure out, okay, how do we recruit college kids that are on the portal as well as we can? Because it might be different than recruiting a 17 or 16-year-old kid out of high school. And so that's something our staff is, is talking a lot about, and, and you know we've, we've got a couple of uh, recruits coming in soon that are college kids from different quality universities that we're going to hopefully have some success with. But it's, it is new, but uh, you can learn. You can continue to learn even at, at the ripe old age of, of 64. I, uh, what we've seen, too, over the, the, the course of the first year of, of NIL and, and the first real year of the transfer portal, it's such an individualized thing for the student-athletes. There's there's some superstars at Purdue. I won't name names yeah. uh, because we shouldn't, but that have had big NIL offers, mm -hmm. but they're not interested in that. Yeah. They don't care about cashing in on that right now. They've got something else in mind. We've got others who are maybe not as big as stars who are taking whatever they can. It's such an individual thing. Transfer portal too. You you've got student athletes who you know maybe don't come in. With uh, with the, they come in with a high ranking, but don't get that success right away, and they take that as a challenge. Mm -hmm. And you've got some who come in and don't. Maybe they have success, but it's not what they thought it would be. They want to test the waters. Yeah, it's, it's such an individual athlete. Well, yeah, I think philosophically, you could argue that the portal is not why the NCAA and interscholastic and intercollegiate athletics was designed for that. Um, I, mean, I think there are certain times where it's ideal and best yes. that a student athlete transfers. There's no doubt about that. 
is it is it ideal that now they have the opportunity the first time something goes south or the first time that they get pulled from the lineup or they get their feelings hurt or, or whatever it might be that they jump on a portal I, I don't know that that's education if that's teaching and, and again someone's going to probably say well you know so you, you want coaches just getting all over players no no that's not how we coach right okay I'm just saying that uh, um, I think that education intercollegiate athletics is there to develop people develop athletes that's why we're here it's an educational process and so I think that they have to do their due diligence both coaches and athletes to make it work and, uh, and, and we've done a great job of that, which is why we've had less people transfer from Purdue in this sport than anybody in the Big Ten over the last five years, 10 years, 15 years, you name it, okay? And I think Purdue is a lot. People are loyal to Purdue, and we recruit people that want to come to Purdue, and those people are different than the kind of players that want to go to Nebraska or Texas or other places, okay? Um, but at the end of the day, this is the way it is, and so, um, you know, I. I just talked to somebody the other day. He said, you know, the problem now is you're having to recruit players that are in your own program to keep them to stay. Right. And I said, no, no, you don't. <laughs> no, you don't. You have, you, have, you have to do the right thing. You have to run your program and be honest, be open, be fair. But if you're going to be trying to do all the things just to keep people there, um, you're not, you're not going to have the success that you need to have, and you're not going to build sleep at night on top of that. So it's, it, it is a unique situation. I think that we're moving in the right direction with what we're going to do here. But again, Purdue collectively, our athletic department, coaches, administration, donors, everybody has to understand what their role can be in this. Because I think for so long, Corey, donors and boosters have been told, stay away from the athletes, stay away from, you know, this and that, and we, we don't be giving money to anybody, okay? Now, all of a sudden, in the flip of a, a hat, you know, uh, it's changed. Mm-hmm. And, and now, all of a sudden, that same, that same donor that, that couldn't give a nickel, okay, can now give $100,000 for somebody by, uh, for them saluting them on a Twitter page. Yeah. So it, it's changed. And so now, the, our, our, but our people need to have that communication. There needs to be the lesson. There need to be workshops. There needs to be, you know, things here at Purdue where we're communicating what they can do. And, and, and the, but the difference is, is that some schools, there are coaches and faculty people involved in that transaction. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't know that we're allowed to do that. I don't think a coach is allowed to do that. Yeah. But yet I'm hearing different things at different places. And again, where does the NCA stand on if at one institution, the head coach is telling people, this is who you can go see and get some money for doing this. But yet the other institution says, hands off. Right. So we need we need we need some leadership there. Uh, I think from the NCAA, the only constant is change. Yeah, right? there's they're going to be change for it, sure. It's for sure, we're running up against it here. We will we'll go out on a positive note, uh, looking at you know a, a brief look ahead at, at sure. the coming fall and and this particular senior class. Well, we have a, a a spring season where we'll have four matches, and we think one of those will be at home against Illinois. Okay. Nothing's concrete yet, but we're we're going to try to play Ball State at a club facility down in Indy. We're going to try to have a home and home with Illinois, and we're going to try to play Wisconsin uh, at a high school in the up in the region. Oh, great! Uh, okay. Near uh, with the region, and um, so that's kind of what our fans can expect to see. We have five seniors that are going to be leading this program. The three outside hitters. Matty Chin, Matty Cook, 
and Emma Ellis that I think we're all familiar with. Um, then you've got uh, Maddie Skimmerhorn. So three Maddies in that senior class. Uh, Maddie's played a lot in the backcourt. Ava Torrance, uh, little fireball that uh, has uh, been just a great, great player for us. Uh, needs needs some more playing time, and hopefully she'll get that this this off season. And then of course Meg uh, Renner, who is a red shirt, uh, be a red shirt junior, but she came in with those guys. So it's a really good group of people, and and I know they're going to develop and, and be great leaders for our program. Can't wait to see it. Uh, we'll we'll. Go to PurdueSports.com for details as we get closer to the spring season. And, and as we get closer to the spring season, we'll be back with Dig City. Until then, Coach, congratulations on another great season once more. And uh, can't wait to see what you have going forward. Well, always good talking to you, and we're looking forward to more of the same. Boiler up. Boiler up.